Before we start this podcast, we would like to acknowledge the true locals, the First Nations people who have been custodians of the lands, waters and cultures for tens of thousands of years. We pay respect to First Nations elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that this podcast is taking place on Gadigal land in Australia, where sovereignty was never ceded. Tom Wilson is head of Wave Changer, which has recently merged with Surfers for Climate Organisation. Wave Changer is aimed at enabling the surf community to embrace sustainable solutions and reduce its environmental impact. Dedicated to creating a carbon-neutral, waste-free surf industry that's respectful to nature, yet retains the innovation, high performance and excitement we all expect from surfing, if you want to support Tom, Wave Changer and Surface for Climate, you can sign up to the Wave Changer Club via the Surface for Climate website. Welcome to the Ocean Matters Podcast, powered by Board Socks, with your host, Dan O'Connell. Okay, we've got Tom Wilson from Wave Changer on the podcast today. How you going, Tom? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Mate, pleasure. Um, so we're going to start where we always do in the Ocean Matter podcast, and that was um, yeah, where did you grow up and what was life like growing up? I grew up um, in an island called Jersey, um, which is part of the Channel Islands, uh, off the coast of France, but they are part of the UK. Um, growing up there... Um, it's a very small island, there's about 90,000 people, so it's a bit like, uh, I guess, from Manly to Kirkhill in distance and people-wise, um, but there's a big surf culture there. Uh, grew up bodyboarding as a teenager, um, and then when I was about 16 or 17, my brother-in-law uh, gave me a surfboard, so I tried surfing and didn't look back after that. Um, but it's an interesting place. It's very small. Um, it's a bit of a tax haven as well. So a lot of people work in finance and banks. Um, went to university in Manchester in England and then started backpacking and traveling and decided I would rather live somewhere a bit bigger. Um, came to Australia when I was backpacking. Loved it here. Uh, loved the surf, loved the lifestyle. Loved all the opportunities for, for work and meeting people. Um, and Jersey's great too. It's a lovely place, um, but I just felt like I could spread my wings somewhere like Australia and then settled here on the northern beaches. Nice. Um, bring it back to where you grew up, Channel Islands. Is that where they got the name Channel Island Surfboards from? No, I get that a lot. Um, <laughs> that is a, I think it's some islands near California and there's just sort of like rocky islands. I don't think anyone lives on them, but yeah, that's, that's not the same channel. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And so, yeah, you said it was a bit of a... Were they, do they speak French? Um, there's a big French influence there, um, and they teach you French at school from an early age, but I think that's kind of getting phased out in terms of the French culture. Actually, all the road names are French, and there's a lot of like bakeries or boulangeries and... There is a bit of a French influence, but really it's it's full of British people. Well, a lot of people from England, Scotland and Ireland have um, have gone there and settled. Well, sounds like an interesting place. Kind of like, have you been to the Canary Islands? Is it? Yeah, not, I have yeah. been to the Canary Islands. It's not, um, not as warm 
So because it's it's in line with the northwest of France, like Saint Malo, uh, Brittany, so uh, it's similar climate to London, really. Maybe like one degree warmer. Well, um, but there's like about twenty different beaches around the island. It's a tiny island, but there's loads of mini beaches. And then on the west coast, there's like the Five Mile Road and St. Juan's Bay, and there's nothing between there and like the US and Canada. So they get a lot of swell coming in from the west. Um, but there's a massive tidal shift. So the tide will go out like over a kilometre in the space of like six hours. It's, it's crazy. That's insane. You can actually see the tide moving. Yeah. And does that mean that waves break in kind of different spots? Like, yeah. is it su- it's super tidal affected and when the tide's coming in can you get big surges of swell yeah yeah it's i mean on the west coast it's pretty flat it's not like there's much kind of topography on the sand but um it's definitely more shallow uh kind of hollow sorry at different points of the tide coming up and and at high tide it sort of bounces off the wall there's a sea wall there so you could catch a wave and there's literally this this giant kind of uh, feedback. Of um, but yeah, and if, if you're surfing at low tide, you've got to walk for like 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, That's insane. Yeah, it sounds like that wave you're talking about is a full novelty wave. Mm. Something you'd see Jamie O'Brien or someone surfing. Yeah. So did you, yeah, what was your local beach? Did you, have you surfed kind of every spot on the island because it is so small or, you know, been to most of them? Yeah, you can only really surf um, on the west coast and then in the southwest corner when it's like giant swell there it wraps around um, and there's a bit of a novelty wave at another beach um, a bit like I guess here on the northern beaches you might surf Collaroy or one of the inner harbour you know when it's really big um, but St Juan's yeah there's different breaks up and down and um, I would usually just go to the one where there's a car park and then walk down and yeah, but there's plenty of space to surf. Yeah, cool. Interesting. Yeah, I've got to check it out more because it's just in my blind spot of knowledge. Um, all right, let's talk about Wave Changer. Can you tell us a little bit about, or maybe before that, if you could tell us a bit about kind of um, your professional expertise and how you got to the point where you wanted to start this platform? Yeah, uh, it's a bit all over the shop, to be honest. I My undergraduate degree I did in design, um, and then for a decade worked in architecture and design roles, um, mainly like CAD, computer-aided design. Um, and oh, I've been about 2009, 2010, had a bit of a career change to community work. Um, and for about a decade, worked in different not-for-profits. I worked with a big issue for six years, uh, managing their street soccer program. Um, in New South Wales and ACT, uh, worked with Save the Children and the Glebe Youth Service and then did a few years at UTS, which is University of Technology Sydney, and they were all sort of social, social impact, social justice roles. And then in 2013 or 14, started studying sustainability, did a Master's in Environmental Science, um, slowly over four years, and that finished with a, a thesis. Uh, one year unbiased academic study on uh, surfing, uh, what was it called, environmental initiatives in the Australian surfing industry and consumer behaviours or something like that. And that was really interesting, loved doing that and finished that in 2018 and then decided to do something with it. So 
started Wave Changer as just sort of like a bit of a research and awareness um, organization and it was very small and then just started speaking to more people about it and getting people involved as uh, volunteers as an advisory board set that up just people to bounce ideas off um, and then yeah three years after starting that it became sort of at the point where I needed to do something with it I mean it could have just carried on chugging along you know putting out the odd sort of project research thing and um, on social media and emails just sending out bits of information and trying to gently nudge the surf industry to be become a bit more environmentally aware and take action on it. Um, and then I met Josh Kirkman, the CEO of Surface for Climate, and I was well aware of them and they were on a similar journey. We actually started around about the same time a few years ago. Um, and then we interviewed the same person uh, from Project Blank, who uh, a local business who do wetsuits um, and thought oh, we're interviewing the same people we're on the same path and Josh suggested coming together somehow and uh, Wave Changer sort of took hold of their sustainable supply club um, which is a membership based uh, initiative that they started uh, maybe a year or two ago um, and it's now become the, the Wave Changer club so it's exactly the same concept. You can pay for a membership fee and you get a discount off 40 partner brands. Um, and you're in the draw every month to win prizes that are donated to us from our partner brands. So uh, last month you could win a Varuna surfboard that's valued at like $1,600. And, and you know, there's not like thousands of members at the moment. There's a small number of members, um, I think maybe 150 or so. So you've got a good chance of winning. And this month there's maybe like five or six prizes, board shorts, sunnies, you know, really, really good quality prizes. Um, but more critically, the membership fee supports what we're doing with uh, the awareness and project research projects. And yeah, so funding has been a bit of a, a hurdle uh, because it's quite a niche subject as well. You know, mm. there's, there's other not-for-profits and charities doing loads of stuff so yeah uh, but there's not many people doing what you're doing which is what i was going to ask you like do, out there besides you guys who else is doing these surf kind of environmental and sustainability projects do you know of anyone or um i guess with the the activism and you know stop the drilling of the oil and those sort of things and pep 11 you've got surf rider and and surface for climate as well. Um, but then in the US, you've got sustainable surf. And yeah, they're probably like the closest uh, equivalent of what we're doing at Wave Changer because it's all about the materials and the surf hardware and, um, and bringing down the environmental impact and uh, just, yeah, like I said before, just sort of nudging the surf industry without uh, lecturing. It's more like, hey, these are the options out there. Um, here's some statistics or um, you know this is what's happening in different places around the world let's try and adopt that sort of thing and how can we get there and just chatting to people and doing it in a way that's like a collective movement rather than naming and shaming and yeah which which probably is creating more of a barrier for sure um, compared to kind of like from your research and everything you've done with Wave Changer do you think Australia in terms of the surf industry is kind of 
up ahead or in line with the rest of the countries with um, being progressive in trying to bring down our, you know, carbon emissions and um, you know, other kind of environmental ways that the surf industry can um, kind of come back to to being zero? Are we, are we in the mix or are we kind of behind, do you think? Um, I think there's, there's other countries ahead, um, but then there's some areas that we're probably doing better at and you know I don't know if anyone's doing an amazing job but um, you know France for example uh, there's there's heaps of innovation coming out of France in terms of surfboard designs and trying different materials and 3D printed boards that are made of like one type of plastic so it's easier to recycle Um, but Australia is there's definitely that um, hunger for it here Um, and I guess the US are doing things as well but I think every country needs to up its game and it's not there isn't that kind of critical push to do it um you know it's sort of chugging along and, and people are sort of making changes slowly but um different industries for example like takeaway food um EPS or polystyrene foam containers or single-use uh, takeaway containers for food you know, they're being outlawed, they're, they're kind of like banned now. Whereas EPS foam within a surfboard, which is like the industry standard, mm-hmm. uh, is still fine. And it's, you know, it's almost out of sight, out of mind. You can't really see it and it's not, people aren't touching that foam every day, but the food industry and I think other industries will, will soon follow suit where those foams will just be outlawed and you know I could see it maybe in 10 years where EPS foam might be banned and it's not allowed in surfboards and and then that kind of goes back to surfboards being made overseas where perhaps the environmental regulations are different and they're allowed to be made over there but mm. then they're shipped over here and unfortunately we've got to deal with the waste and when they're broken or whatever the, the foam might wash up on the beach. Multi-layered there's, there's so many different so I never really thought about that, just to bring it back. So the the foam, like a blank, it's made up, our boards are made up of, that's the same as the foam that you use for takeaway, Tupperware. Yeah. Kind of like when you get yeah, from the Chinese more. restaurant or, you know, any of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. bigger, you know. Um, it's a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah, surfboards, it's not a set of car keys. You know, it's pretty big. It's in terms of um, trying to dispose of it, it's a bit of a nightmare. Um, and you can recycle parts of surfboards, but you've got to pick off the, the resin and the, the fiberglass, and then you've got a stringer and fin boxes. So um, there's an initiative called Waste to Waves um, in the US, and that's Sustainable Surf, where you can drop off foam um, in certain surf stores, and then they recycle it. And Marco Foam will make recycled foam blanks. Um, but yeah, maybe we need to move away from foam or at the very least have a much better recycling or return mm. initiative so that you return surfboards to, you know, whoever makes them, JS or whatever, you can return a surfboard to them and then they can reuse the materials or at the very worst case scenario, dispose of it in a way that, that isn't going to be washing up everywhere or getting burnt and then there's mm. toxic fumes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point because, like, you don't see everyone that snaps a board, you just see it end up next to the bin. Um, I would like to know how many people actually recycle the, the boards when they do snap them. Like it would be. Oh, I reckon it's like. Yeah. It's, it's hardly anyone. I don't know if it'd be a percent. <laughs> and maybe that's a you know maybe that's something that 
at Wave Changer and Surface for Climate, we need to work on that is um, having somewhere for people to return surfboards. Right now, you're right, if you break a surfboard, most people will just think, well, it's too big for a bin anyway. Yeah, you know? it just ends up next to the bin. Yeah. Most of the time, like down at Bondi or the amount of like snap foam boards I've seen at Bondi over the years, it's just like every, know, almost yeah. like every second day. I mean, if I see a snap board, the first thing I do is I check for fins or a leash. I could take something off that. Um, but yeah, there's, don't know off the top of my head what the solution is there, but you know, people are turning old surfboards into pieces of art, which is, which is good, you know, but it's a bit of a stopgap and it's not going to, you can't turn every broken surfboard into a piece of art. No, for sure. Um, what are the alternative um, calls that people are working on at the moment? Um, I'd say the closest uh, alternative is algae blanks because mycelium, which is the root system of a mushroom plant, there's been talk for about a decade of of using that because it's used in packaging and it's used for other things. I've just recently seen it being used as a tray for tattoo inks. So instead of having a small plastic tray with the inks set within it, there's a mycelium one which has grown. So they, they grow these materials into a mold and then pop it out. Um, and for surfboards, it's too heavy. Although I've read someone who's crowdfunding recently is trying to do it as a kind of more skeletal framework so it's less heavy. Mm. But there's issues with it and then if it gets wet as well. Um, but the algae foams, um, algae that's grown in a lab is essentially like really new oil and you know, oil that's taken out of the ground is really old algae. So if you can grow it in a lab environment and it's controlled and you're not digging it out of the ground, it's a good thing. Um, And it's got biodegradable properties. So algae blanks, and that's something that um, hasn't become mainstream and it's still not at a commercial scale. Um, But I think that is maybe the closest. Um, And then I've seen other little ones like there was like a potato starch one, corn starch. So there's people that have messed around with them, but they've never been good enough to match the properties and performance, um, buoyancy, waterproof, you know, polyurethane foam and EPS foam are being used for a reason because they're super light, um, easy to shape, cheap. But yeah, so to knock that off the mantle and replace it with something else is is a big ask and I think if something decent would have been made by now it would have taken over quite quickly and all the surf brands would have jumped onto it really quick yeah I think there's been something that has quite hit the nail on the head yet yeah that's interesting I've seen um Joe Rogan podcast and he had Paul Stamets on who's the mushroom expert and he had a hat made out of um mycelium I think like it's and a, a and they're like showing it to each other and they just couldn't, Joe couldn't believe like kind of the consistency and the strength of it. And he, I think he said he could light like a fight, like he could put something in fire in there and it wouldn't burn. It would just like hold it. Mm. It was quite remarkable. Yeah. So there's definitely a few big innovations on the horizon, but they're just not quite funded enough for at the stage where it's, it's scalable. But um, what are some of the, the things that wave changes looking at for 2023 that you guys are really excited about um, in in terms of the surf environmental space? Um, This year, 
so for the last two years, we've put out like an industry re- report or guide called Surfer versus Planet, which looks at stuff that's going on around the world, like the sort of best of what's going on. Um, so we'll probably do another one this year. Um, we've got a podcast where we interview people talking about exactly this sort of stuff um, and a blog. Um, and yeah, we put out a report uh, a month or two ago called The Carbon Cost of Surfboards that we did in collaboration with Carbon Halo, who sort of look at carbon emissions. Um, and it was uh, like visually presented by students at UTS as part of their final year coursework. So it's just a collaborative project. Um, so this year we're, we're perhaps looking at having, I don't know if it will happen this year or next year, but a, an annual conference, um, which will have everything to do with surfing, sustainability, eco-friendly stuff, surf hardware, talks, um, you know, panel discussions and, you know, maybe stuff like music and food and just um, something that we think has never really been done before. I know maybe there's something in the US like that, but, you know, like an eco-surf conference that we're hoping to host. That's um, awesome. I've yeah. definitely be keen for that. Like we're <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Involved. That sounds exciting. Yeah, I think it will be exciting. I think it will be, you know, whether it's a day or a few days, uh, I think that anyone that's involved in surfing or even people like yourself with, you know, with the business, with surf hardware, um, yeah, I think it will be exciting for a lot of people involved. Talking about that article, I read that, um, The Carbon Cost of Surfboards, it's both fascinating and a bit terrifying at the same time. Um, Could you briefly kind of summarise the main facts to our listeners who might not have read it yet like what what is the carbon cost of most surfboards um so for a like a six foot short board it's about 100 i think it's 165 kilos uh carbon emissions um and yeah that was broken down with uh carbon halo and and they they broke that down with various factors the materials um the materials being a percentage of it, but also the lifetime usage and maintenance. Um, and it also took a bit of a, a kind of uh, approach looking at the energy involved in making it, um, the, which the embedded, embodied energy, sorry, uh, the transport, uh, transport of getting the board over, and also, yeah, that lifetime usage and maintenance involves um, a bit of travel as well you know if you're driving to the beach or whatever um, so it was more of a overall lifetime it was more of a, a lifetime assessment of the surfboard and the emissions involved um, but there was a lot of uh, comparisons in that report where we looked at how uh, I think seven Olympic sized 50 meter swimming pools um, which are pretty deep um, the annual sort of EPS foam quantity that's used to make the world's surfboards could fill those pools um, and also just the comparative carbon emissions from one surfboard and I think critically if you look at all that information you could say at the end of it well what's the solution like what what could bring that number down so that it's got much less of an impact and I would say that um for a start, surfboards could be made in Australia because I would be surprised if there's another country where so many people per capita surf, you know, maybe parts of the US, Brazil, 
but as a whole, you know, most people in Australia live, live near the coast and some people might just have a surfboard and they use it once a year. But I reckon in terms of surfboard ownership, Australia has got to be up there. Uh, For sure. Per capita. Per capita, 100%. Yeah. Like, got to be. So, like us in Hawaii, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Hawaii, yeah. Um, so, you know, why aren't we making surfboards here? Instead, they're made in China, uh, Thailand and China, where, you know, I don't think that many people surf there, really. No. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's, they're made over there for a reason, um, cost. But, yeah, I think we can start making surfboards here and it'd be great for the economy you know it'd be amazing for shapers designers people working in those factories um, and then you've massively reduced the carbon footprint from the travel um, the logistics and the freight um, and also you know people will have those jobs and um, take pride in it and it will create better communities and you know, the surf culture here will be even more enhanced. Um, and also the environmental regulations in Australia are probably a lot stricter than they are in other parts of the world. So I think those surfboards will have to be really good quality, yeah, good materials, and it could drive innovation over here. And all of a sudden, surfboard manufacturers who were making, you know, in this hypothetical situation, if they were making surfboards over here, it would be a race to, instead of a race to the bottom, which it is now, you know, trying to, everyone trying to get the cheapest possible product, it'd be a race to the top, really. It'd be like, who can get the best quality, really cool eco surfboards made? Um, yeah, so I think, but, but that's a, a really difficult thing to, to is, switch, yeah. to change a, a whole process where things are made overseas yeah it is but I, I think you're kind of on the right line there because there are like shapers you know at the moment like your McTavishes and your higher end shapers that would be doing better than a lot of those people that are racing to the bottom at the moment so to speak like yeah morning of your earth and people like that where it's if you do have a, a premium brand people will pay a premium price mm. like that's and yeah especially at the moment like there's just so many boards out there that people are getting from like you know the big chains that are going to snap and they're probably not the right board for that surfer so I always say um like we we do a bit of surf coaching and I always say to people like if you if you're in doubt about what board you want to get go speak to a shaper because they know you're speaking to someone with 20 30 years of experience that's going to make the right board for you rather than going to a surf shop and they're just going to try and sell you the hottest board at the moment that's probably meant for someone that's on the QS, you know, like it's not, yeah, there's a different medicine for each person. There's no, it's not like one size fits all. So hopefully that can, can definitely change. Um, yeah. Talking about all these boards being made in Southeast Asia and uh, I read Nick Carroll's article, um, which said I think it was like 88% of surfboards or something in the world are coming from that area, which is mm. crazy. Um, yeah. He's got a really good article actually. And I've, I've referenced that a couple of times where, He's done some really good research and it, it looks at um, where the surfboards come from. And I think the, the USA um, has the most surfboards sold in the world um, because I guess, I don't know, like surf schools, people learning and also people, you know, seriously surfing. And then there's bodyboards as well, you know, but yeah, it's a really good article. And I think it was, was it on Surfline or something? Yeah, I think if you could Google Nick Carroll and... 
you know, surf Southeast Asia, you'll find it. It's, it's yeah. really good. In terms of eco surfboard alternatives, what are some some of the brands? I know we've got Varanu in Australia, but what are some other brands that have kind of come to your attention that could be good alternatives to the classic PU and epoxy? Yeah, I think Varuna and uh, SignSurf as well, S-I-N-E. They're, um, they're, SignSurf are based on the northern beaches. They're actually making surfboards here. Um, they've got a really good model. Uh, Varuna are making high-performance timber surfboards in collaboration with a lot of uh, top shapers. Um, I think they've just got like a new Chili and Bo-Young, uh, Morris Cole. So they've got a range of... Uh, circles inspired by top shapers so you can get that really classic shape so they they collab with the shaper take the shape and then recreate it out of wood yeah that, yeah 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 and they're like hollow frame uh timber frame surfboards um and varuna use um timber that's grown in like a permaculture process um so it's almost in collaboration with nature really and it's something they've worked with um with like Indonesian government to ensure that it's it's not kind of I think they're using like invasive species so they're doing like the the people who own that land a favour by taking that timber and also regrowing it and um, yeah it's a really cool process if you look at their website and you can read about it um, but then there's there's cool stuff happening in France I don't know what's happening in France but there's some sort of like competition I think between these surf brands to try and come up with the most eco-friendly surfboards so there's like um, there's Wive W-Y-V-E they've got like a sort of hexagon shaped they used to be called Hexa Surfboard before they rebranded and that's a 3D printed piece of plastic that's um, essentially one piece but then they've got a bioresin over the top as well um and I think they're working on ways to recycle their boards. And then there's Nomad Surfing. They're doing not just surfboards, but really cool stuff with uh, making, for example, a leash out of old wetsuits and seatbelts from vehicles, um, fins out of fishing nets from Sea Shepherd who are sourcing the plastic, um, tail pads made out of cork, recycled cork from wine bottles, um, well, the cork from a wine bottle. Um, yeah, and then there's Yuyo Surf in France, uh, Notox, Notox have been around, they were probably the first to kick it all off using bioresin and um, like flaxseed cloth, uh, Polyola in France again, um, they've got a PU blank which is traditionally been impossible almost to recycle, they're now, they've figured out a way to kind of chemically reuse them and melt them down so they can take their your old PE surfboard and melt it down and turn it into a new one well wow. and their blanks are sort of like yellow in color because they're not maybe as chemically pure as some of the the virgin sort of foam ones um but yeah there's loads of stuff coming out of france um sounds like there's some stubborn french people just in a competition with each other to win yeah. Oh, that. <laughs> it could change your pace <laughs> well yeah I don't know it's yeah. weird and they're all kind of you know around about the same age um, and yeah it's strange I don't know if there was some surf design competition 10 years ago but yeah and there's stuff coming out of Portugal as well and Spain um, all sorts of stuff in these different corners of the globe there's a guy in Brazil who's got a, a resin that's 
100% vegetable based and it's like a kind of vegetable oil and he's this kind of like mad scientist who's <laughs> a bit of a genius and it hasn't become commercial but he's, he's using it on his own surfboards he's a shaper yeah well yeah I think it's like biophenol it's some sort of like vegetable based oil that he's extracted and he's using it as a resin and <clears throat> yeah all his boards are like green bright green yeah but I don't think that's the resin but he's just trying to get the message across. Yeah, yeah yeah that's cool um and in terms of like some brands and organizations, I guess environmental organizations, um, you've got your eye on for 2023 that people might not know about. Who are some of those crew you've got your eye on? Um, I guess oh, there's, there's loads of people doing good work. And I think that right now it's a, a good time in history to care about the environment or have a business that has got any sort of environmental kind of credentials because it's just it's it's in the you know the front of everyone's mind right now it's in the news and it's huge just you know the 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 cop events you know cop 27 and there's just so much going on so organizations that are doing well there's you know over here you've got surf rider and surface for climate and they've got one percent for the planet who are a very interesting model because they take you know one percent of uh, people's revenue that sign up for it and do really good stuff for the environment um, yeah. groundswell giving do a, a similar thing groundswell giving I haven't heard of those guys 1% started by Patagonia founder I believe um, one. was it? yeah I believe okay. so yeah. Yeah, yeah that's another one of his oh Patagonia as well they're, yeah. they're sort of leading the way really yeah. um, especially with the news a few months ago of you know all their profits going to like a kind of consortium of different environmental groups um sustainable surf in the u.s that like we're, we're good friends with them i chat quite regularly to michael stewart the founder uh co-founder sorry um so yeah and, and i think what we're our sort of approach and mindset is collaborative so rather than seeing people as um, competitors you know we're all trying to get the same outcome we're all trying to make the world a better place cleaner safer yeah um, and I think wave changer what we're trying to do is essentially education um, because I feel like you can swap a material for something else or you can um, have an incentive to help people kind of be more eco-friendly but if there's solid education then the next generation and the generation after that will just be aware of what the right thing to do is. Um, so I, I think education is in the environmental area, it's kind of like quite badly underfunded because there's a lot of grants that are thrown at innovation, which is good because it means that something needs to be redesigned and there's funding from the government, state government or federal government to support you to do that. But if there was more money thrown at environmental education so that, you know, it happens at schools or there's extracurricular education programs so that those who are going to be the next generation of designers and builders and people that are using materials will have that solid mindset of, okay, planet first. And yeah, so they'll like want to get into the space as opposed to getting into the space somewhere else and then... 10 or 20 years down the track being like, oh, yeah, I want to jump ship. Like it's, I guess it's about trying to get that good talent early 
with funding because you know yeah yeah to make it work so whatever whatever industry anyone's working in just having this mindset whatever whatever product you're designing i think anyone is designing i think they need to think from the very start one of the first things is what happens at the end of this product's life um and i think you know any design school should be teaching students that that you know, before you design something, before you think about the materials, what happens when you're finished with it? Because then, if you think about that, at the very start, you'll always have that kind of thought in your head about what ways to let create at the end, or how can it be modular so that the different parts can be taken apart and recycled? Um, can it be returned to the manufacturer? Um, can it be made onshore and just thinking about the environmental footprint and reducing its impact from the very, very kind of outset. Yeah. So that when you get to the end, because right now we're at the the stage where we've got all these products that are just everywhere and nobody's really thought too much about how to dispose of them or mm. reuse them. So we're kind of scrambling around and we've seen that with the soft plastics yeah. recently where that uh, program in supermarkets just collapsed because... They had too much of it and mm. they didn't know what to do with it. And yeah, it was a shame that, wasn't it? It was kind of, they were the only ones trying and then they get the blame and then everything goes under. It's like, well, mm. at least they had their, you know, foot in the race. Like it was, it was a bit yeah, of a shame. Yeah, it was a shame. Yeah. Um, yeah. Quick few shout outs to some local groups that I know. I just interviewed my last podcast was with a guy called Sam McLennan. And he lives in Tasmania and he's building a raft at the moment from marine debris, debris that's um, washed up from the fish farms and stuff. And he's making it into a raft and he's going to try and sail it from Hobart to Sydney to raise awareness for... Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's a pretty big mission. And then one of our other chaps who's a local guy, Roland Davies, he's been converting his um, truck. He bought a fire truck. He's converting it to run off vegetable oil and he's currently got a GoFundMe um, to travel around Australia just picking up rubbish for a year and he's done that before. So he's already done a lap of Australia picking up rubbish and now he came back, saved up and he's um, going to go again. So That's incredible. It's um, powered on vegetable, vegetable oil. Yeah. Stuff. So he just stops into cafes and restaurants and just they're stoked to get it off their hands. You know, like he'll rock up and ask for it and they're like well we're gonna to have to pay someone for this like how much money do you want he's like no i'm just happy to take it i'm just getting my petrol for the next you know 100ks or 200ks wow. or whatever so yeah, cool story. really cool stories there um and yeah another few that are close to my heart is seabin and sea forest i think they're two ones to watch in yeah. 2023 yeah yeah seabin uh, both actually seabin and sea forest are, are killing it right now they're doing mm. so well yeah yeah awesome all right, mate, uh, we just always finish the podcast with the last few quickfire questions. So, um, yeah, you can answer them in a sentence or, or more. But if you're going to give your 16-year-old self any life advice, what would it be? Uh, I think you need more than a sentence for that. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. Uh, for me personally? Yeah. Um, I don't know, I feel like I've always struggled to keep things simple. I've always tried to make my life difficult, so maybe try and keep things simple, but then who knows? Uh, I think that's good, um, good advice, keep things simple. Yeah, yeah, I think a simple life is less stressful. Uh, I've given myself way too much stress by trying to take on too much. Yeah, yeah. that's good advice. Um, if you're going to have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? 
Oh, I would say David Attenborough, um, just because a bit of a hero. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe David Attenborough. He's the man. Yeah. He's the man. If if the world was going to end and you had one country to surf, uh, one country for a final surf trip, where would it be? tempted to say Indonesia I mean as cliche as it is um, maybe back to Hawaii um, not right now the waves are huge <laughs> yeah the eddies um, on right now yeah yeah maybe Indonesia maybe yeah. some hidden parts of Indonesia for sure yeah everyone needs to spend a bit more time in Indo mm-hmm. um, if you had to ride one board for the rest of your life what would it be um, it would be probably like a twin fin six foot fish that's pretty chunky um i've been messing around on different boards recently not very successfully and i had a chunky fish for a while a few years back and i'm I'm now just sort of going back to that sort of board because yeah i i need a bit of stability yeah yeah volumes everyone's friend um where do you see the future of the ocean going um Good question. It's, I think we're on the right path right now. I think everybody's now aware and governments are stepping up and it's critical that governments, you know, they're the ones that essentially guide us and have all the rules. So I think it's good. Um, there's been a lot of damage made, um, but we're, we're stopping that damage now. I think, I think the, the worrying thing is a lot of developing countries, perhaps uh, India, parts of Asia, may may not be on par with the sort of awareness i mean i could be wrong but i feel like it takes a global effort so yeah i I think i think the tide is turning in a positive sense and if we don't learn from the mistakes of the last couple of hundred years with the industrial revolution then we we deserve it that we get really yeah fully um why does the ocean matter to you um why does the ocean matter to me? It's just, I don't know, it's just a, a really nice place to kind of go in there and sort of feel amazing when you come out. Um, you know, you can go for a swim, you can surf, it's full of so much life. Um, it's such an important part of the whole ecosystem of the planet. Um, and I think there's a lot of focus on the ocean, but also you know, like take three for the sea, picking up trash on the beach. But I think we need to also take care of what's happening on land too, where there's like roads, factories, there's trash. You know, I don't see too many people talking about picking up trash on land. Mm. And beaches and oceans are important, but, you know, it's everything. Yeah, they're connected, aren't they? Yeah. So every time it rains, it all just drags up plastic. It does, yeah. Straight down to the beaches. Yeah. Yeah. All right, mate. Thanks for your time. That was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, appreciate it. No worries. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of Ocean Matters Podcast, powered by Board Socks, then please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would be incredibly grateful to keep this show moving in the right direction and to keep spreading the word and the stories of the ocean's beautiful powers to people from all walks of life.